Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Cinema Demore. I am your host, Chuck Phillips, joined by Justin Morgan and Lexi. We're continuing on with Spike Lee joints. And this week, we're talking about one of my personal favorites. I feel like it's a very underrated film that needs to be seen more often, and that is Bamboozle. Bamboozle. I know exactly why this movie doesn't get shown as often and why it's not always really listed as one of his top films. It's a very strange film. Definitely has a a very interesting cinematography to it, which I know it was largely for budgetary reasons so that basically the studio wouldn't interfere with it at all was pretty much make it as cheap as possible and we'll leave you alone and not even look at the script and not really care what you're doing with it and just turn in your movie when you're done with it. In an interview he gave on the film, they they questioned, you know, did they want you to make edits? And he was like, hey, I told him I could make the movie for $10 million. And they said, eh, do what you want then. So it's a very uh, obviously handheld camera. It's very early in the digital camera type filming style. Yeah, it is. Before they kind of got like really good with it and things like Zodiac and how David Fincher uses it. This is very early on in that type of filming style. Definitely has those rough edges. Does not look very good. No, the quality is terrible. Even on Criterion. Because I remember watching this film from Hollywood Video on DVD and being like, this looks pretty terrible. Maybe the Criterion will look good. They really like upgraded it. And I'm watching them. There's like no upgrading this film is the 16 millimeter stuff from the show turned out pretty well the stuff that they actually did film on on actual film the little insert the production that they filmed but everything else it still just looks like bad handheld camera footage i saw it on amazon and this is a fucking rip that i got off of a torrent site or something (laughs) yeah such bad quality there wasn't another upgraded option there wasn't an hd option or anything this was the only option fuck me this looks bad if you watch 28 days later that was also shot on those early it looks like shit that's one thing about these early early films that were shot on early digital cameras they are not holding up they don't look good i almost give like 28 days later more of a pass because it it kind of fits more it adds to the shittiness yeah the gritty yeah it's supposed to be post-apocalyptic everything's so fast-paced really frenetic action that it adds to it that never bothered me with that one right even just those little scenes of the back and forth characters talking to each other and it's oh this looks bad like it just hurts watching this the lighting is awful on some scenes yeah and it just looks bad yeah they're talking in people's apartments the blinds are closed yeah yeah, it looks like it wasn't white balanced properly it's just really off kilter but once you get into the film you can ignore that you kind of start looking past it yeah i'm interested to see some of these restorations too with david lynch's inland empire it was shot on sony pd-150s oh okay so it's just like those little dv yeah yeah turn of the century digital cameras those were big, big back in the day, too. MTV was obsessed with those things. They were shooting with them all the time. I think they're 1080p tops. So I'm interested to see the 4K Inland Empire transfer. I was reading about how they were doing it and able to process it to make it look as good as it, it is. So I'm interested to see if they actually pull it off. Do you remember those Canon cameras that they were shooting every single reality show on in the early 2000s? They were gray and had panels that were red on the side of it. And they'd always somehow manage to get them into the shot because they wanted people to see what they were shooting with. <laughs> Do you know what I'm talking about? Those were like the hot camera. Like if you didn't have one of those, you weren't the cool kid kind of thing in film to have. So expensive. 
<laughs> Probably around like what 2007 or 8 when Fincher really started messing around with the uh, digital cameras. Soderbergh with his Che and how he did everything natural lighting and it looks great. So you have red and black magic cameras now that actually have really great quality to oh, it. Oh, reds are excellent. I think it was Roger Deakins who people thought was never going to step away from film. Honestly, you can do anything that you want to digital. You can change it up in any way. You can make it look like film if you really want it to. I do think that we're there. It's just this time. Oh, yeah, for sure. Early 2000s. Yeah. Definitely suffer from it. Yeah. There's always a trial period with everything. The digital cameras look bad, but this is also that point in time, too, where CG, they were using it for everything, and it looked fucking awful. No, the CG in this is pretty good. No, no, this one. <laughs> the CG looked like the uh, bowling alley footage when you get a strike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it totally did. He kept it under budget. Yeah. When the coin bank comes to life and it's done with CG. Woo! Ooh. That looks so <laughs> bad. It was hovering in the air and not connected to anything and didn't match anything that was going on. <laughs> Spike Lee came out with this in 2000. It is his second movie that's in the Criterion Collection. The first being Do the Right Thing, and we watched both those in a row, so we're out of his Criterion picks. Maybe the next one will get in there, you know, we'll see. Of his movies, I have Malcolm X, which I bought twice. I upgraded it. Nice. And Inside Man, and I don't have a lot of other ones. I have a quick question. This didn't do well? No, this did terribly. Everyone hated it. <laughs> was it critically panned or was it just audience panned? Yeah, all around. If it's in the Criterion Collection, I'm, I'm asking that because, like you said, he's only got two films in it. They can consider it being important without it okay. being well-liked. Is it important? I, I think it is. Okay. There's a lot of history in it. I know Spike Lee talks about that it's, it is like a film that he really likes and he really enjoys and that it, he feels it's very important. That's the thing. I don't know what their process is. I don't know if the people at Criterion go to the directors and say, hey, is there a movie of yours that, that you would like want in or something? Or We want to do do the right thing. What other movies of yours would you like us to do? Yeah, I could see him saying this or somebody else coming up with wanting to put this in to kind of get at that audience that it didn't get when it initially came out. There's a really good interview uh, that they did for Criterion where they're interviewing about it and like they kind of asked him, you know, so why do you think this movie failed at the box office? And he pretty much is like, he's kind of like, I mean, have you seen the film? Like, it's a lot. <laughs> and most people, uh, it's almost a very like meta version of the whole film is a satire about the television and film industry and uh, how they use African-Americans, but it's usually in a very derogatory way. It's never, it's usually not in a very positive spotlight, but they like to keep putting them on screen because they're, they're you know, oh, they're the, they're the hip people. They know what they're doing. We'll put them on screen, but we're never going to show them being like successful or anything like that. We're going to, we're going to dehumanize them in every way we can or show them on cops getting arrested and beaten or something so the whole film's a satire about that but then a lot of the it seemed like a lot of the critics and viewing audience were like but is 
he just doing a satire of that satire? Because this whole film seems to be about dehumanizing African-American people and making them feel bad about themselves. So like people, he very much, Spike Lee's point of view is that people just didn't seem to get what he was going for and that maybe they just thought it was going way too far in his depiction of, of you know, this world that he kind of creates with these characters, that it's it's a bit too much for some people. I think it's one of the funniest movies I've ever seen. The interviewer said the same thing. Like, like it's a funny movie, and he's like, "Yeah, he's like, test screenings were very, very weird. Most of, like half the audience, like the white people, are like looking around, like I don't know if I can laugh. Am I allowed to laugh? Like, I thought that was funny, but am I gonna get beat up if I start laughing at this? Like he said, like everyone that went to the test screening audience is like, we're usually like sitting in shock silence, like they had no idea how to react to this film because they just didn't know. Like it's a Spike Lee film, but am I supposed to laugh at at the black people doing blackface? Like, am I is that supposed to be funny to me or, or am i supposed to be horrified by it so they just didn't know no one knew how to how to process this film. i kind of felt horrified by it a little well, bit you're supposed to Th- that's i yeah. definitely had like that real uncomfortable feeling while watching it that's a, that's a lot of it to me it wasn't really funny or like there's a few things that did seep through that i thought were funny but the majority the funniest of it part just... is tommy davidson's reaction to that guy when he's like he was uh he was very funny and he's like that's not funny <laughs> That's that's the funny. See, that's my favorite moment of that film is his reaction. Well, to like this. I did learn a little bit about Mantan, the original Mantan <laughs> from the thirties, yeah, yeah. and apparently when Shemp from the Three Stooges died, his brother Mo wanted Mantan, but they ended up getting Joe. If you remember Three Stooges, yeah, I think this is what they needed. The studios weren't brave enough to go with him for sure. Yeah. He does love to put a lot of that historical into these films. I mean, he doesn't do the right thing. He puts it in Black Klansman. Like it's in almost all of his films where it's not always just like a monologue, but where he fills the films with. There is like an educational aspect to them about something that most people probably had never heard about, which I, I feel like that's why when people say like, oh, this movie's like ridiculous and he went too far with it. It's like, well, he gave you all the moments of fully explaining why this was so bad, how this like negatively affected people for decades why the main character damon wayne's character like should not be doing this like he, he kind of presents it all to you and shows you you know why this is all bad i don't know why people are confused about like i don't know how i'm supposed to react to it and i'm like i'm pretty sure spike lee's telling you how you should like be reacting to this like how you should feel about how these characters are acting it's, it's the same as like do the right thing when you when you ask like i don't understand who did the right thing and it's like i'm pretty sure he was like setting you up for that and <laughs> See, the main character starts this because he's trying to prove a point about them being racist, but he's also trying to get fired. You guys also really didn't talk too much about the plot. If somebody did not know what was going on at all, what would you say? Give it to me. It's the new millennium show. show. Yeah. Well, it's about a guy who works for a TV network who keeps being made to do things and he's had enough of what he's being made to do so he thinks this is my way of getting fired so he creates a literal minstrel show thinking nobody would ever go through with it but his ignorant white boss thinks it's the funniest thing ever and so he like pushes forward and initially he's like oh fuck and now what have i done but then as the story progresses he starts to actually like feel accomplished because he's being told he's accomplished and he kind of loses his mind with the the power and the the greed that comes from what he started and what he created but his initial whole plot with it all was he just wanted to get himself fired he didn't think anybody would pick this up and do anything very with much it. inspired by the producers that's very true definitely takes cues from that of the idea of you know two characters coming together and we could actually 
actually make money by having a failure for a show like and that would be best and then everyone would hate it and we'd make all this money just doing something like that and this is almost this is like jumping off from the very end of the producers when it turns out oh god our our thing that was supposed to be a massive failure is a huge success and then continuing and seeing like what would happen to those characters following there of you know what would continue on with them they have to now live with that they've they've done springtime for hitler and everyone loves it and wants to see it forever right i i love the boss i think the boss is like michael rapaport oh god i love that actor he's He's such a good actor yeah he's i really like the cover that said like starring the great negro actors and it's way in and michael rapaport's like the very last one on there too yeah yeah (laughs) well that's i mean that fits in with his character who's like who's i know more about black people than you like name one of those black men on the wall (laughs) yeah Who's number 24 on the wall? Yeah, yeah he's, he's the opposite of, of Sal from Sal's Pizza and, and do the right yeah. thing. And he's got all the African pass. stuff like all over his office, life. like every single inch of his yeah. office, African stuff. Yeah. He, yeah, he would, uh, he does, although he does, there is a callback to that. He does the, uh, he does the Al do sharp inlet that uh, Pino does. He, that's like the only, it's like the only real callback to that film that he does the exact same, uh, same thing when they're bringing up, you know, what if, what if Al Sharpton shows up and wants to protest our thing? And he's like, he's like, oh, that'll be perfect. That'll, that'll drum up more publicity. Like, it's great. I like that he goes out and finds the like kid who just wants to dance and that's all he wanted to do. He just wanted to have a career dancing and he just ends up becoming this like joke of racism. But I think the great part too with it all is that instead of it failing the way it was supposed to like the white audience latches onto it and then they show up to the show in blackface and the audience is all in like blackface and the guy walks to the audience asking them like how they feel and i was like i wonder i wondered the first time when i was watching it when they first do the live broadcast of the mantan show and the audience is like just watching it i wonder if it was like a real audience that they didn't tell anything spike lee says it was that's amazing he said said that's amazing he said that was like their real reaction that's so good he said it was the same as the the same as the test screening like where they just sat there and had to keep looking around to see oh like, my god i love are it people laughing like i don't know like i don't know how i'm supposed to like am i supposed to laugh at this like That's they, he said it was the exact same same thing they like put him in a theater and we're like we're filming a movie so just sit there and you know just watch the show and he said he said like they literally did have to like put up signs that said you're supposed to applaud at this moment like because nobody just nobody wanted to actually <laughs> actually like <laughs> applaud or like laugh at it like they had to hold up actual That's signs so great that is the best. I did enjoy that talent show and most deaf and his crew where they're like overly aggressive. Yeah. And makes them feel uncomfortable. I love Jada Pinkett's face when he's presenting the show to the boss. He's like, I've got it. We'll host it in a watermelon patch. <laughs> she's like, yeah. she's like, what? And like both the dancing kids are just sitting there and they're like, okay. <laughs> His name's Mantan, and he's sleeping. He, he immediately is like, my name's what? See, I think the thing that Spike Lee does, and I, I think it's difficult to do, sometimes when something is really, 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 really offensive, it can almost full circle back around to being so absurd that it's funny. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so I think yeah. like Spike Lee understands that, and I think he executes that idea of, 
very, very well in his films. And something I never thought about before. It's like, that's a big place that my humor goes to. Like, I have a tendency of laughing at inappropriate things because I just, it full circles for me. I'm like, that's so racist and so awful that it's so absurd to even have that thought process that it just loops back around to just being like funny. Like, I'm just laughing at you, not laughing at the idea, but laughing at you. And so it's like, this movie is nothing but that. It's like a giant, like two, two hour, like joke essentially like it's so absurd that it loops back around to being funny because it's like it should make you uncomfortable it should be awful why would anybody consider doing this but like that's the whole point why would anybody consider doing this and it's so funny it's like so absurd as i think this movie is fucking hysterical like i was was laughing the whole time i was watching (laughs) there's another good moment that's like kind of kind of predictive of some television now which is that he's going through uh He's going through Pierre Delacroix's other pitches for shows. And he's like, these pitches are all terrible. No one wants to see this. And he, he reads the one that's like a black family moves into a middle white, middle class white neighborhood. Who would want to watch that? And it's the, <laughs> that's the exact plot for the show Blackish. And I'm like, that's 100% the exact plot of that show. And he's like, he's like, who would watch something like that? Also, no one would believe something like that. It's also the plot for Boondocks. Yeah, it's like it's like yeah, it's a, it's a plot that now they've taken and like used yeah. more or less to to subvert that same idea that like someone like that would throw that away and be like that's junk. No one would ever want to watch a show like that. What's the name of the brothers group, the rap group, the man what is it? The the something clan. The Mau Mau. So they're the other side of it where it was like that that time period in the 2000s where like rap culture had seeped into the mainstream and so there's the white kid that thinks he's you know part of it and you know they're he's 116 yeah yeah 16th black was my favorite character name and they think that yeah yeah out of all of them (laughs) they think that they're you know um revolutionary and they think that they're like whatever as they stand there drinking like the most mainstream beverages and like falling yeah, the into 40s. the cultures and all that kind of stuff and they're such interesting characters too and and i like when he watches them perform and he's like i want nothing to do with that because like yeah. that was like modern culture at that time and he's like no no we're not actually like trying to appeal to like yeah. the culture he's like i get what that would do he's like we're not doing that we're trying to actually like full on like go back to like the most offensive period in time spike lee talks about those groups that were he, he specifically mentions he's like he's like not public enemy public enemy is like they're they're legit he's like but there's some of those groups that you know <laughs> yeah they go back and forth between you know they go back and forth between on their songs they're like oh yeah we're we're all about change we're all about revolution we're all about freedom but then yeah like behind the scenes it's like come on man we got to drink those 40s like we got to get the we just we're all about like the fashion and stuff like that like they say what they say in their lyrics and what they actually want to do in their lives are two completely different things and like that's that's how that that group seems to operate like they they talk all their big ambition and all their all their plans about like making changes for the better but then when they actually go back to the studio it's just them sitting around drinking and smoking and making stuff up well and then when they do act they take the the innocent kid from the show and they kill him which results in them all getting killed except the the white guy (laughs) (laughs) who's just standing there with his hands up and they go over and arrest him (laughs) while they gun down the rest of his crew i was like that that scene was so good and so many levels this movie is really good there's a lot of layers in this one as well too 
it's not as deep, I think, in some ways as um, do the right thing. It's deeper on like a higher level because it's really focusing on the entertainment industry a lot more than it is like the, the what, and how the uh, entertainment industry impacts the social aspects of like African American culture. So it, it's a uh, it's it's more about that aspect of things, and I think sometimes this subject can go over a lot of people's heads. It's just it's yeah. just a hard topic. Like it's something that we talk about because we talk about it a lot on here because it's just going to come up in everything that we would talk about in film and television because it's a major part of film and television. If you're cultured on the entertainment industry, this movie is easier to follow because you're like, oh, yeah, I get it. I see like, you know, I know how this works. I know how this flows kind of thing. But like when you're just watching it, you don't understand that side of it. This stuff can be hard. And I know that's common for a lot of films that tend to focus on the industry they don't always like stick with the mainstream audiences whereas you know critics will enjoy them or something like that or later on down the road they'll be more hailed this movie definitely gets into that idea of what uh kind of just really bringing up how maybe how guilty is media for repper for the way they represent people and i know that's that's like something there that's getting brought up more and more currently with the idea of the representation like and people yeah people like to say like oh what is it what does it matter if like that character's black or what does it matter if that character's asian and it's one of those where it's like well is it like a is it a regular character like you know show someone a regular character in a positive light that is that's black that's asian that's gay that's transgender like if you do uh, going back to those old films even even going back to like the 50s, 60s, not even going all the way back to like the uh, the blackface era. It's like, you know, when you if you're a kid in the 60s, 70s and you turn on TV or you go to watch the movies and they, they bring it up in this like and all you see is like uh, something like good times, then odds are if you're like a white guy that or a white kid that's watching TV that has no friends that are minorities or anything, probably you're immediately that's like your that's your only interpretation of oh, all black people must be like the guys from good times. Like they all live in a house together and they're all poor and they don't have and nothing good happens to them and they don't have good lives and they live in the inner city because it's literally all you can see on the TV because you don't you don't have those people around you. So it's like the television and film has a very is it has like a responsibility to not just show you just one side of everything or, you know, every film Oh, the main character. I mean, that was a, that was one of the biggest things back in a lot of those films too was oh oh the main villain he's gay and it's like that was all you ever saw was yeah. the character was gay in the film oh it was then he's the bad guy like he can't be the good guy that that's just he, he can't be the bad he can't be good let's think about like in the 90s like a, as a trans person the big joke in like so many comedy films was they get this hot person and then yeah. they, they have a dick went yeah. and that was like what what i grew up with and i was like oh okay that's another one of those things that a lot of people like to say, oh, it's just a movie. Like it didn't, you know, it's, it's, it's just fake. Like you don't, but it, for a lot of people, that's, that's all they know. They don't, they live in a, a very small town. They live in a rural area. They don't, that's their only interpretation of what they've seen by turning these yeah. types of films on or seeing this is they're they're like, oh, well that just must be how it is, I guess. Cause I saw it on TV. It's, it's like, uh, where'd you learn about the Donner party, Danny? I saw it on TV. Huh. He saw it on TV, Wendy. <laughs> but see, that's like where the concept of cancel culture comes in is that by making these changes in the culture, 
the people who are unfamiliar with the changes are feeling alienated by the changes that are occurring with them. And so they think that there's an attack on their culture, yeah. but there's not an attack on their culture. It's that we are diversifying as a culture and you're unable to keep up with the times. Was it on here where we had the discussion about cities versus rural areas? It was, it was last in the, in the last episode. It goes back to the same kind of thing. Like if all your culture comes from television and films f- about a particular race of people, then that's your idea of them. So when they start to change that idea of them, you feel uncomfortable. Or when you start to see them taking on different roles that you're unfamiliar with, you start to feel uncomfortable. And so you start to feel attacked rather than taking the time to realize that it's just diversification of media to include everyone because there's a wide, diverse pool of people. So does does this film pass the Bechtel test? I haven't asked that question in a very long time and I feel I feel bad. You know it doesn't. I know it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> there's only Jada Pinkett. We all Smith, know it won't. Think there's like another female character. There's his mom. No, yeah, Pierre's mom, but she only talks to him on the phone. Yep. Yeah. No. Right. Tells uh, tells him that's uh, which I always I love their con- his his uh, his interactions. Oh my with both god, of his that was the are great. Best. Like Paul Mooney's uh, Paul Mooney's yeah. great is his father, and then his mother's great too with the. You know I love you, Pierre, but I think you're an idiot for what you're doing. <laughs> and then it's like, it's like, oh, you know I care about what you do, even though I think you're ruining everyone's lives. I love when she's done with the call and she's like, "I'm disappointed in you," and just hangs up. <laughs> That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. His both, uh, yeah, his interactions with his with his parents are are great. I love his character in general. He's such a strange. Uh, even from the moment you meet him and he has that that fake made up accent that he gave himself just seemingly he's a very self-loathing person and is trying to trying to distance himself from any sort of connection to his past or uh his community like he he very much seems like he wants to be seen but beyond race like he wants to be seen as just another guy in the office and that's why he's given himself a fake name he's given himself this fake accent he wants to be seen as you know just another guy in the office like don't don't look at me as i'm just the black guy in the office he which he, he very much yeah he doesn't want to be seen as that he gets that gets that speech when he shows up late for the work from michael rapaport that's like you know what cp time is right <laughs> uh, yes sir like he, yeah so he has to like he has to give him that and he has this that's that's where he keeps yeah he gets keeps getting this desire to to show that yeah he could be more than than just you know again the the black writer in the room which very much is what he he seems to be when the movie starts out and they have that whole writer's room of 20 people and it's it looks oh like oh my god that uh, was the best like, it's just all white people and just him by himself he's the only he's the only black guy in the room but Michael Rappaport it keeps saying like like no man I need you to be my black guy like you need to be my hip guy that gives me all my all my like new and trendy ideas because we all know black people are on the cutting edge and that's what I need you for and he's like it's like but I don't really want to be that I just want to you know I just I have ideas that I want to share I don't want to I don't want to just give you stuff like this and you know ultimately that's what leads him to this of okay fine he wants me to be the black guy then i'll give him like the blackest thing he's ever seen in his life and yep. and yeah that's you know that's how he tries to tries to scare them off but uh ultimately backfires on him what do you think of this film justin 
Well, with what Chuck was just saying right there, it kind of reminded me of that's how Spike Lee was feeling when he was doing all his press releases for Do the Right Thing, where he's, I'm a director. I'm trying to be a director. I'm not trying to be the black director. I feel like it definitely has poured a lot into this Wayans character, the protagonist here in this film, and how he translates that. There's always this battle for your respect. What are you going to do when this character who's just like, fuck it, I'm just going to give them what they want. I'm going all in. They're getting exactly what they've been asking for for all these years. When something becomes popular, whether, you, you know, when you try to make it fail and it picked up amongst all these people, I don't know, maybe that's something that Spike has dealt with himself. The people that are like really buying into what kind of influence his films have on other people. And I think that's kind of great that his movies in general, but it's the, the, the history of, of black film told through the white lens. That's kind of what we're looking at because I think a lot of people wouldn't buy into the stereotype so much if you were actually watching stuff made by those people, no matter what it was. That's why you should tell stories that you know from your perspective and not try to jump into somebody else's shoes who you've never been a part of. I feel like the movie runs a bit long. Yeah. yeah. I definitely felt uncomfortable watching it probably an interpretation i'm supposed to feel it's just so demeaning for these characters i didn't like watching how demeaning it was to the characters that had to put on the blackface and basically be a, a laughing stock when they're actually pretty talented people you know one's a talented singer and one's a talented dancer and then they have to be like degraded into this thing and i think that's where i had the hardest time with it so i definitely feel like yeah i wouldn't want to go through that experience in the interview when they they talked to spike lee and they asked him like what was the what was the hardest part to to film for them and that's what he said he said all the the scenes when they had to put on the the makeup and he said uh like one part that wasn't his direction at all was for them to like cry and he said that was just their natural reaction he said they both felt like they that both the actors felt terrible like putting it on and he's like that was just like that was that was literally what just happened while they were while they were putting it on was they just they they both like cried while they were putting it on he's like because they felt terrible putting it on and and again he yeah he kind of like mentioned i can see like, that he's like he's like it, it impacts the film really well but that's just like a natural reaction to it he's like but they like he was glad that they were willing to like do it basically for for this film to like try that and then you know put that into the film but he said that yeah it was like one of the only times he's never had to direct someone like for an emotion he's like that was just a natural reaction to to like doing that uh, which i think the yeah the other thing that like makes it makes that scene again he adds like those those like historical things is he doesn't just show them like buying like makeup kits they literally go through the process that they did yeah you know, uh you know a hundred years ago for making the the blackface makeup which was you know burning corks with alcohol like turning it into a paste like it, it goes it doesn't just show them like buying store-bought stuff which i think would like make it i don't know yeah it would like take away from the impact it's like they, oh no they literally do it the exact way that they would have had to do it in those silent film days and you have to see that process and i'm sure it, like it, it feels like it probably it smells awful it probably feels terrible like it doesn't doesn't you know again it's not not good stuff to even be messing with but yeah, it's that's that's what I love about his films is again the way he like adds those like historical context facts that kind of just again show that he's not just like making things up. Like yeah, I feel like with some things 
it's like, oh, maybe he's like over sensationalizing things, but he he'll puts those in specifically to show that like, no, I'm not like over dramatizing anything. Like this is literally exactly what happened, uh, which again, leading up to, I think probably like there's a lot of uncomfortable moments in the film, but probably like the, like the hardest one is just the, when we get to the very end, which is a like three or four minute montage of just nothing but those clips from all those old movies and TV shows set to like, uh, like really depressing music. And it's just like the whole time, like I said, I have that same reaction as uh, Tommy Davidson's character of like, this isn't funny. Like is, is there someone out here that like, like watch this in 1922 or something? And like, laughed at this like they well even this was like good even when he starts collecting the merchandise like the old school yeah blackface it slowly fills his office yeah but like that's that shit is so offensive and it's crazy because like you go to the flea markets especially down in the south and stuff like that you find that find it everywhere, everywhere and you're like man it's so like it's just so absurd it goes back to that whole thing it's like it's just like why mm-hmm. <laughs> well, yeah he's, he said like when he was young like his parents didn't didn't bring stuff into their house he said like he literally didn't know like like what uncle ben and aunt jemima were because his parents like were like we're not buying that stuff like even when he was a kid like they were like we're we're not going to oh, we're not bringing that to the house like, like he, he was like i didn't even know what that stuff was who are the who are the background characters for this oh well we've got uncle ben and aunt jemima uh, yeah man uh what was that uh, it's just like oh uh, uh, honeycut yeah <laughs> jesus christ uh little black sambo <laughs> like yeah like he just like has like a whole lineup of like history's most famous offensive black-faced people to be his like background characters yeah it's really yeah, deep uh, like it's a really de- <laughs> deep idea and it's it's been like brought up before of like um again like when people say like oh it's just just a movie like you you just need to ignore it or something like that it doesn't really matter and like uh, one of the biggest ones that uh, it's it's in the end it's i know it's shown in a couple scenes but it's like birth of a nation and like they've mentioned on multiple occasions how the ku klux klan was basically like non-existent when that movie came out like they basically already like failed you know they like came at around the time of the civil war but like basically we're all but gone like nobody nobody cared about them they were pretty much a joke like no everyone ignored them but then uh when griffith made that movie that was like people were like oh that looks like an organization i'd like to join or something like that so it's literally a film that restarted an entire hate organization that's still active to this day and it's like uh, yeah i think it's like very much like the, the the very first example of oh yeah movies are movies are pretty powerful like they're not just they're not just entertainment. Again, I think that there is like, there is somewhat that responsibility of, yeah, don't start an entire hate organization from your film. Maybe, maybe don't let that be part of your legacy. Don't let that be like the thing that, that you should be remembered for. It kind of overshadows everything else that you may have been trying to do is uh, that you couldn't help yourself and uh, tried to make them the heroes of your film. This country has a rich history of systemic racism. Yeah. It seems very proud of it too. In so yeah, in a lot of in in certain certain areas. Again, not uh, 
pointing any fingers, but I mean the South, <laughs> a lot of it, but it's it's everywhere. It's not people like to pretend that it's only there, but it may be very prominently there. But it definitely exists in in the northern states in California. There's they're everywhere. I went to school in Canada until sixth grade, and then when I went to school in the states, um. All I learned, I moved to school to Florida and all they taught me in history class for like the next like six years that I lived in Florida was the Civil War. And they never taught it in this like proper kind of way. It was always in this like half cocked kind of way. And you'd have to ask your own questions or like dig deeper into like the facts to get everything. But they were like obsessed with it. They're obsessed with the Civil War and like the states. And it's like because they lost. It's like they just seem upset that they lost the war without realizing the implications of like what the war was and it's like well, what's the war about well the war is about slavery no no what's the war about it's like it's about fucking slavery that's all it's about <laughs> like what war do you want to have a discussion about why do you want to rave rebel flags on everything oh no it doesn't mean that no it means exactly that like stop flying them on your truck stop flying them at fucking nascar stop flying them at what oh no it's fine okay me and Seth were out, and I was talking. I think I did like a weird voice, and I don't even know if I don't know how I was doing it. But um, <laughs> she said, that, "She's like, you sound like that cartoon dog," and I was like, "Droopy." I sound like Droopy, and we watched a, a video that was like the best of Droopy. It's like a two minute, oh, it was no. like a two minute video, and it was all it was all pretty funny at the until the very end, like the very last thing was him painting a confederate flag and i'm like whoa what the hell it's <laughs> like came out of nowhere uh, he goes he paints a confederate flag in the other cartoon characters like where's the stars and he hits them over the head so stars appear and then he throws them on the flag and i'm like this is this is intense <laughs> when i was a kid growing up in the 80s like you go to like the dollar store and shit and they'd have those like you know, cartoon compilation video VHSs in like a bin. And my mom would buy them for me all the time. We would get home with those things and she'd watch them and be like, nope, this one's banned. And I'd be like, why? And it was because like so many of them were full of those like really super old racist cartoons. And she just would not let me watch that shit, which it's reasonable. But like, you know, it's funny how much of that, was just tossed on to like old VHSs and stuff back in the day. Like it's just a kid's cartoon. And like, I'm growing up watching like all this, like super, super like racist stuff. I mean, they even took some of those cartoons and like would use them in like episodes of PB's playhouse and shit when they would do like the king of cartoons and stuff. Like, cause you know, it's like those old school bouncing. That's the word of the day. Yeah. <laughs> Racism. <laughs> What's the word of the day? It's the N word kids. They're like, what? So it's interesting, like, how long it took the rest of culture to realize it's not just a cartoon, but it's also, like, a really, really offensive piece of history. Or, like, or like how about when they brought back um, Little Rascals in the 90s? They, like, tried to bring that back. Yeah. Still with buckwheat. That shit was hella offensive. <laughs> it's a good thing we're not an offensive show. I, I, Never. I don't think we are. I don't. I don't think you are. I might be. It's a good thing, is what I said. It's a good thing. <laughs> One day the cancel culture is going to come for you. 
They're going to cancel you. It's on our planes, trains, and automobiles episode. You thought they wouldn't notice because it sounded terrible. That's right. You can't cancel something that's never started. Oh, <laughs> wow. Do you think we've done a good job in the last, like, 20 years, 10 years, fixing things? Or are I we... even ask if we were doing a good job at our podcast. I, I 100% thought that's where the question was going to. I was like, I was like, well, this is taking a and turn. And then you're like okay. 20 years ago, and I'm like, oh, shit. We haven't been around that long. Yeah, I don't... I, don't, uh, I would not say I in the two... Like, I feel like the 2000s, we made a steep decline. And now we're yeah, kind we're of trying to, to fix what the damage was that was done in that. Because it's like... Well, I know... The 90s, we kind of like tried really hard to make progression and then like people got really mad in the 2000s and were like fuck that and they just like went back and like hunkered down on being like as racist and offensive as humanly possible and sexist and what have you and now we're like uh, trying to fix that in the last 10 years it feels like we we got to and this was this is going back to even before before Chappelle got on all his other you know whatever trans stuff he goes on about now but I know that was like his big like that was one of his big reasons for like wanting to get out of his comedy central contract and get out of the Chappelle show is because he thought he thought at first like it, it all he yeah, it's like the the Chappelle show almost is like very bamboozled esque in that if you like hear him talk about it when he when he was doing the show and then before he left was like he started that show and it became like a huge hit and they were like just throwing money at him. Like they would, they would pay him literally whatever he wanted to keep that show going for as long as possible. But then he got to a point where he did start to feel like, are they laughing with me? Or are they laughing at me? Like, I don't, I don't know if I can tell the difference anymore. Like, am I just like keeping these stereotypes going with these characters? And like, it got more and more where like, he kind of got like that same feeling where he'd go out in the streets and like white people would be like saying the N word at him and stuff like that. And being like thinking it's funny and be like, ah, I'm in on the joke. And he's like, uh, the joke really wasn't for you, but okay. Like, and he kind of, those were his feelings when he got to like, uh, got later into that show was like, he's like, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm making this show for the right reasons that I originally thought I was like, I thought I was making a subversive comedy show, but now it's, it's mainstream. And it's like, college dudes are coming up to me and like being like haha hilarious that's how i think too and like and being like oh that's not how you're supposed to think that's the whole point of the joke like and i you i definitely get that same feeling from watching those sketches where at which he features a lot of similar cast paul from mooney even this film paul mooney's <laughs> in it and he's and paul mooney's great in it he even even makes some of like similar jokes in that in chappelle show and he he was doing the same things where yeah it got to a point where that's why that's how he that's why he says like he started losing his mind and had to leave because he just was starting to get blurred between who's dave Chappelle the character and like who's dave Chappelle the real guy and it was starting to like mess with his head like almost in the same way that does to pierre delacroix by the end of this film is he doesn't know like am i supposed to be part of this or am i or was i trying to like take this system down and you know make those type of changes that that he wanted to see and I, I can see that that's that's why I would say like I don't know I, we're we're probably getting better, uh, but still probably like again you said it before I think we even started the episode we're obviously still not getting there when it's like you know uh, you have Obi Wan Kenobi the new Star Wars show and oh there's one black actress and uh, oh everyone has to focus on that as being like 
or in Last Jedi, we have one Asian actress, and oh, she ruined the whole movie for me. I hated the movie. Why? Oh, because that Asian girl was in it. And, an, like, and a woman for a, a lead character like, on top of that. I mean, yeah, a woman and an Asian? Yeah, Come yeah, on, no. Yeah, that's that's too much. And the Stormtrooper was black? Oh, get out oh. of here with this movie. Like, I... <laughs> Put put Oscar Isaac as the main actor, and and only him. That's all I want to see. Like, so yeah, I would say, I would say no. We we still yeah, have even not. Even it's the white woman not made. following this woman too too much. Yeah. In a yeah, galaxy yeah, far far away, that. there is no cultural diversity. It is a white yeah. universe. <laughs> yeah, Except the aliens, made, uh, they're fine. Yeah. They're fine. We can, we can, they're, they're Blue, fine. They're pink, really purple. Okay we're fine with all that shit. But African American, Asian, yeah. no. You should yeah. be ashamed uh, of yourself because yeah, all you see is color, even when it comes to aliens. <laughs> I can't. I can't help it that you can't see those colors. You 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 don't see color. I know. But, but yeah, so I, I would say no. I don't. I don't think we've. I don't think we've made as much progress as. Uh, it's the same as do the right thing, which w- that was. Uh, that was eighty nine, and this was two thousand. So uh, eleven years apart, and yeah, almost basically the same thing we said for last week. It really doesn't seem like we've made that much progress between that film and today. We haven't. Uh, uh, yeah, not it or not not it, definitely not as much as should be made. Going back to the comedians too, like. Chappelle, I personally had a lot of respect for in regards to what you talked about in his show and stuff like that. But like with age seems to come ignorance. And it's like a lot of these old comedians like Seinfeld and Chappelle and, you know, Ricky Gervais now and all this shit. They're just like old angry guys and they feel offended by the fact that they can't be what they used to be and they don't want to adjust to the modern culture and it's like Michael Richards. well that's fine you can fade away like we don't need you here anymore Seinfeld hasn't been relevant since the 90s like if you want to fuck off you can fuck off and keep your opinions to yourself and it's, it's, you know, it's always hard. been relevant it's yeah. always relevant you know it's, it's, it was hard for me at the start of my transition like that was my first thing with my transition was Chappelle with his comedy special like Justin approached me like immediately after the special and was like I'd like to know your opinion on it and then after him four other people approached me and I think I was like three months into my transition and I was like I don't fucking know like I hadn't started my medication yet I'm still a Chappelle fan and so like you tried to find the balance and things and you're like oh it's fine but, you know, as time goes on and as you start hearing it more and more and seeing the direction that things are going and it's just like there's a there's I like I said back before, like things can be so absurd that they become funny or things. I, I have thick skin. You can fuck with me. You can drop some, you know, jokes. I'm not, you know, whatever. But like your whole comedy specials are focused on this stuff now. And, and it's like if somebody did this years ago and it wasn't about, you know, trans people, it was about your race or your culture or something like that. Like you'd be furious. And, you know, for somebody at the end of his special, he said, you know, I stand by people who get fucked with, you know, by the system regardless, because I come from a culture that's, you know, been fucked with by the system my whole life. And it's like, then why can't we all be on the same team? Why does it have to, kind of whatever like it's a bigger 
picture and it's hard to adjust when there's so much resistance from the older culture to adjust and it's like i saw a meme the other day that was just all the different flags for like bisexual trans gay and it was like why can't gay just be gay anymore why does it have to be all these subgenres of gay because within the lgbtq community there is unrest and battle between the different groups the lesbians fight with the gays the gays don't like anyone they're still male they still dominate the main threads so even though you know gay agendas always come first they're also male agendas so they come first and then the female agendas come secondly and within our own community we're not respected and you know it's like all these new it's people like, so that are showing up to the gay. show yes yes i am that it's it's so weird like it's like when i learned that you know um rupaul doesn't like trans people it's like okay but well, i was a big rupaul fan and it's like what do i do with that and it's like a lot of the people that i was a big fan of you know you get deeper into things you guys were talking about jk rowling i'm not a fan of her but it broke so many people in the lgbtq community's hearts when she came out as a turf because like they that community really embraced the harry potter stuff like i don't know why but it was like it was embraced by them it's just i mean part what of their the hell culture. was transfiguration if it wasn't exactly about trans I don't, so, I don't care. it's one of those things where you know it's tough to it shouldn't be hard it I should mean, be harry easy. potter he cast the spell in the bogger <laughs> it'll turn snape into like a cross-dressing snape and they all laugh at it i i think i think that the entertainment industry is doing good enough of a job with making the adjustments i think it's culture that's resisting I hate to say it but i think it's angry white men culture that's you guys are two white guys and i don't want to make it you know it's about you but there's this culture around you guys that, you know <laughs> it's kind of won't shut the fuck up and let don't things change us. i mean don't let let the world change god damn it stop trying to keep it the way it was because it needs to fucking change on a higher level <laughs> it's your fault especially justin this is entirely his I'm fault. all about change yeah i want the old way to die I'm an extremist. I don't know what you want to hear. Yeah. <laughs> the old way doesn't work. It can burn for all I care. I think the worst time for black culture, and I love that he references it. I think it was in this movie that he referenced it. Was it Malibu's it. Most Wanted? No, no, no. It was when he brings up Homeboys from Outer Space. Like that time period when UPN was starting to put out, when, uh, like when UPN was a new network before it merged with uh, WB and became CW, and they were putting out those like, the most offensive black comedies ever created like like homeboys in outer space and like all that kind of shit and they rebought like in the house and then they reformatted in the house to like not be intelligent anymore and like super super like racist and offensive and it's like that's where a lot of like anger towards like black comedy and stuff came from was that time period when like early bet even like early bet did not get it like BET still doesn't get it. Like it's not helping the culture the way that it could or benefit because it could be I so much like more what, than it is. Let me ask you this. What is helping the culture? What's helping the culture is generations of people that are growing up and not growing up that way. And even though they're around their parents and listening to their parents, when they go out in the world and interact with other people, like, they learn that their parents are not 
always on like the right. I think like Gen Z is a very inclusive generation. I think we're kind of like that last bastion of like what our parents did. Cause like I talked about before with the generational racism, I think that the racism that's existing within the millennials at this exact time is just generational. That's been held on to by the boomers that are still alive. Make sure that your kid stays off the internet so they don't become like a, an all knowing, well-adjusted human being that respects other human beings. Right. Right. They got to cut themselves off from things. I mean, the internet, you're absolutely correct on that. I mean, the internet was in its infancy when we were kids and now it's a wealth of information. So even if you do live in a rural community and you have internet access, you'll have access to what's popular and what's popular might be a bunch of black culture or it might be, you know, a bunch of Asian culture at this time or whatever's like really big at that moment. And you'll be able to be at the forefront of that instead of being someone who grows up in a community where you don't have access. So the internet has opened the world up for everybody. Even racists. You got to have somewhere to be able to meet up and network and shit. (laughs) (laughs) Christian singles. Christian Farmers only. Is that what it is? Christian mingle. And farmers only. Farmers only is the best. (laughs) There's a fucking dating site for everything nowadays. It's crazy. There's still hope out there for Chuck. I definitely want Chuck to tell me he found the love of his life on Farmers Only. (laughs) He'll find it. I think I forgot to tell you uh, this story. You're you're in love? Uh, This is... No, no. (laughs) Well, not yet, at least. We'll see. No, but... uh, so I'm scrolling through TikTok because that's one of my favorite activities all the time. And these videos, this one video came up and it's this girl in prison and she's like delivering a message to a camera. And she's like, she's like, hey, so I'm in the Idaho Correctional Facility. My uh, my <laughs> my jail number is like six, five, two, one, nine. Uh, I'm I'm Jessica, uh, you know, just looking to meet someone cool that just wants to like talk and, you know hang out or something like that uh currently locked up for nine years so yeah hit me up if you want to talk and i'm like i scrolled past it first because i was like well that was weird and i just like scrolled past it and then i was like no i i, I haven't done anything but it, but it's like and i'm scro- i scrolled back down i was like i was like what is that like let me let me click on this and see what that is and it's just nothing but a page full of people it's like it's like men and women, and they're all in Idaho for some reason on this particular page, and it's like just people pop up and be like, be like, hey yo, I'm Mike. I'm in here for another two years unless I got good behavior. Uh, I'm just looking to talk to somebody cool. So like you know, if you want to like send me letters or something <laughs> I just like that, talk and I'm to like somebody cool. Who doesn't want to talk to? It's somebody so cool. funny. It, they're they're like all like that, and I'm just like I'm just like, is this like like it's basically like set up like it's supposed to be like be pen pals with a prisoner basically but then it's like it has like other things about like send them food did you send them things uh dear trisha yeah yes i definitely killed yeah (laughs) and i'm like that well that was my first thought too is like was like you're like you're making it like way easier for those people that like uh like the people that fell in love with like ted bundy and the night stalker and stuff like that that like we're like that's a guy i gotta get with i was like i was like now you're just putting it straight on the internet just sending it out to everyone like like hey if you're in the idaho area and you're looking for a serial killer to be your boyfriend my name's bob my inmate number is this why don't you send me some money so i can buy some cigarettes oh my god that was the funniest thing like that because of that people that's known allegedly (laughs) yeah 
that my lawyer knows about. Like upon my that was death, my favorite. That, I may release the yeah. locations of the rest that was, of my that that was like really making me laugh when when it's like there's a dating site for everyone. I was like, apparently there is because apparently you can just meet people in prison in Idaho and talk to them. Going back to the initial thing that we were talking about with the internet, bamboozle, 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 bamboozle. Oh, well, that that too. <laughs> you can find anything you want on the modern internet. That is true, but the problem with modern internet is that it caters. So as soon as you go to something, it starts giving you more and more and more. And eventually, like, depending on how you view things, it'll just completely cut you off from entire sections of the Internet that you'll never see or have access to. Like, if your thing is Republican, what have you, content, then you start, like, getting shoved to this one particular area of the Internet. And you're never content. That's that's but you'll never get access to, like, black culture and black content. If that's, you know, where you started looking, you're never going to get diversified, especially if it's a family computer and everybody's using it for that. And then you go on it and it's always offering, you know, X, Y, and Z. So, you know, there is also a certain aspect of having to reach out on your own and figure stuff out. But I still think it's a good tool. I just think it's sucky how much it caters to like your, it chooses to hone things down so specifically instead of like, going well i saw you like this it's like spider-man it's a gift and a curse right i mean (laughs) i like cars i don't need only car content sometimes i like to see something i've never seen before so just show me something i've never seen before but you're never going to get that because it's like if you're on youtube and this is what you've been watching youtube's never going to show you anything outside of that like small realm of shit that you've like started watching and that's it like you just become like forced down this rabbit hole that's why i like the criterion channel so much because that's the videos that they'll put together they're like here's their collection of black horror from the 1960s and you look at these titles and you say i haven't watched any of these yeah none of them have been on my radar everything's underground here and you watch them and two-thirds of them are great and the other third's good The black voice has been strongest recently in horror more than anything else. Absolutely. It's been strong televised horror or theatrically, like especially big. We've talked about Jordan Peele already with Get Out. Get Out is an extremely unique horror film because it's that perspective that an entire community is like, yeah, these people exist and they're pretty scary. And it put the liberal racist on my radar (laughs) where it's like the thing that's Mm -hmm. complimentary that, well, it's not complimentary. It becomes creepy and scary. Yeah. Did you see that movie that came out? I think it was right during COVID when it dropped. Paddington? No, the Democrats that hunt the Republicans in a field. The hunt. Yeah, The Hunt. That's literally what it's called. I worked with the director on... He did One Dollar that's on Paramount Plus, but I haven't watched his movie, The Hunt. That movie was a piece of shit. Like, the main character, she's a great female lead, but the context of what they're trying to say and do throughout the film is just such a load of shit. I feel like we're also, on the one hand, you're you're right, we're getting a lot of like good African-American horror. That new Candyman was excellent. I thought that Candyman was really was good. fantastic. Yeah, I thought that that was a good reboot to the franchise while kind of being a sequel. Like, I think we're in a good place. And it I was think a it's requel. Been a, like, we're also in this place where like it's nice to see that coming back. Like, they're bringing back old black 
Porfs from back in the nineties and stuff like that. So yeah, like I'm totally here for all this and it's always been here for the black whores. Yeah. A hundred percent. I've always been into African-American horror. It's one of my favorite genres. I really wish somebody would attempt um, tales from the hood as a TV series and do like different, you know, African-American directors brought in to do different stuff like that. Like that's what I would have hoped for, for instead of twilight zone. Like I would have rather seen Jordan Peele. Twilight zone was like, I don't, I think it the worst writers. I I don't know. It wasn't, it wasn't good. Oh, there were maybe four good episodes. Maybe. But like, it seems like for all the good quality horror content that's coming out in that side of things, we're also getting this like really harsh string of like, you know, red state Republican kind of like horror that keeps trying to act like, you know, everything's changing and it's terrible for us and we need to be scared. So it's like, yeah, I mean, the red state horror is we've lived through it. We've seen it get pretty awful. So that is another thing that I think a lot of people can relate to. We don't need to make horror movies about it. We need to stop. Like that shit needs to just stop. But I mean, you don't want to silence I mean, I everybody. Just watched, I'm all caught up on the boys, the TV show, the boys. That's such a and good that is show. Definitely red state horror. Like that's definitely what they're diving into. I love that show. It was one of the best shows on TV. This was definitely one to talk about. And like I said, that's, that's kind of why I picked this film. I hadn't I hadn't watched it since since uh, I saw it initially. It yeah, I probably it would <laughs> that is when I saw right it before probably like 2006 or something because I I know I rented it before I worked at Hollywood Video and I started there in like 08. So it's probably like 06, 07 or something like that. I that saw I this shit on a VHS, and, man. Like in 2000. Oh yeah, I at least <laughs> had mine on a DVD, but it's uh, yeah. Like I said, I feel like this is. This is definitely. I saw this in the seventh grade. Under underseen. <laughs> I watched it on a film. chalkboard. It I was went to drawn go see Final for Destination me. And bamboozled. That was my double yeah. feature. That's what you got to see. So yeah, I think this is. A, I think this is definitely one that. That's that's why I wanted to talk about this one. I kind of feel like even. Yeah, if you want to talk about the, the movie we're talking about next week, I feel like it's another underrated one of his that doesn't get talked about very often. I feel like there's probably a lot of people that, even if they've seen the movie, don't even realize that it's one of his movies. One thing I didn't touch on, and I, I want to throw it out before we completely end, Damon Wayne's phenomenal performance. And it's funny because you get him doing this movie in the 2000s, and then later on you get Requiem for a Dream with his brother, the Wayne's brothers are actually some of the most competent actors out there. And they are very, very competent with dramatic roles. And I would love to see them take on more serious roles or bigger features because after these two films is when we head down that fucking horrible rabbit hole of like scary movies of, and white chicks yeah, all and all that scary kind of movies, shit. They made a lot of money off of that. Yeah, they made bank on those. And like their family is known for the satirical comedy. I mean, they basically invented it with the I, I'm going to get you sucker. Like that was like one of their first <laughs> films kind of thing. And it's like that that particular way that it's done. They like really hold the, the cards on that. So it's like a family tradition to kind of do that shit. But I don't think that's where their talents lie. Like I get that they made a lot of bank on that. But it's like just because you guys are capable of making lots of money off of something doesn't mean that you shouldn't like step back around so while and do some like very serious acting. Cause I'd love to see more from them. Like genuinely would love to see more serious acting from them. Never thought I'd in my life, I would see Marlon Wayans be a heroin addict and do a fucking good job of it. Like, 
it. I mean, it's just it's nice to potatoes see potatoes while Jennifer Connelly's going ass to ass and Jerry Lee ass to ass fucking cut off. If I can bring ass to ass into the episode, I will always bring it in. I did that on my last podcast and I'll do it here. Did do the right thing past the Bechtel test? Yes. Did it really? It had to have. No. Why did it have to have? Wait, she does talk to her mom, doesn't she? She talks to the mom about the baby. But they're talking about a man, so it doesn't work. Because they're talking about Mookie. Yeah. They have to be not talking about a man. So I guess it fails. It fails. <laughs> what if they're talking to the camera and the camera, the audience is female? No. It doesn't work that way. I'm done. <laughs> You're trying to retro your questions into the episodes that you forgot to ask the questions. That's right. Well, it is on Criterion. Uh, I don't know if you can see it on the channel. I can't remember, but there's a sale going on right now. Barnes & Noble and Amazon, I think, is matching the price. So you can get Do the Right Thing I need to go and look. or Bamboozled for $20. Yeah. Never uh, the 25th hour, the which we're come. doing next, you can just rent it. You know, good luck finding it for a good price. If I you try to get it, it was on Blu-ray, you're going to get bamboozled. bamboozled. <laughs> good thing I already have my copy. Do you? Nice. On DVD? Yeah, from Hollywood Video. On DVD. <laughs> there you go. That good uh, closing out sale. I have a ton of movies, like... though, like, that people were like, you can't find this movie anywhere. I saw somebody yeah. bitching about The Happening, and I was like, I don't know why I have it. I know I bought it from Hollywood Video. I do have it. I do have it. Inland oh, Empire garbage. was another one where we got, like, one copy of it. I'm like, I'm going to buy that the second that they, they try to sell that stupid thing. And that's another one. Everyone's like, where the hell do we even see this movie? It came out on DVD once and, like, was on sale for a month or some shit and then mm-hmm. went out of print. I did see recently, too, I think I think it's Amazon. They lost rights to certain things, so the movies that these people have bought, they're going to lose the movies that they paid for. They're oh, unsure if they're, if they're able to like refund the people for the movies that they've already paid for. Now it begins. That's why Dude, physical media it, is still important to people. The fucking DVDs have gotten crazy expensive. Like, you were just saying 25th Hour and, like, I just tried to get a copy of Rock and Rule, and I knew it would be a limited like run, but like I didn't think I would have this much trouble. I you was can't like, okay. win. Either you buy it expensive, and then it's cheap, and it's easiest thing to find. Yeah. Or, or you're like, I'm gonna wait till it's a little cheaper, but it goes out of print and ends up being the most expensive Dude, thing of all time. This fucking thing averages two fifty to three hundred fifty dollars. If you want it on Blu-ray, three fifty. Bamboozled. Check it out. Yeah. Cinema de More will return. With the 25th hour, next Friday. We are Cinema de More. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay up to date with news and information on upcoming episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, Audible, Pandora, Alexa, or iHeartRadio. It would be greatly appreciated if you subscribe to our podcast on your platform of choice. We also appreciate feedback, so rate us, review us, and let us know what you think. And above all else, thank you for listening.